0: Good morning, everyone. Um, we're going to be looking at the passage that Pauline read for us at the start of Ephesians 2. So if you have a, a Bible, please uh, turn it up and follow along. I think you'll find that, that helpful. Let me pray for us as we begin. Father, we come to you now. We give you thanks for your word, we thank you that it's living and active that it's breathed out by you and we ask that this morning you would speak to us from your word uh, that you would speak into our lives um, uh, that you would stir our hearts uh, that we would hear your voice clearly and that we would be changed that we would go out different from having heard from you we pray in jesus name amen I wonder, have you ever come across an artist that draws character paintings? Um, Maybe on holiday somewhere, maybe in a market, Uh, I don't know, I was nearly going to put out on the WhatsApp, does anybody have a character of themselves that I I could use, but maybe somebody has one on the wall or in the back of a cupboard somewhere, Uh, I don't know. Uh, But if you don't know what I'm talking about, I've got an example of a character of a well-known politician. Uh, that Niall's going to put up for us it 's maybe not a very good one, but just to give you the idea of, of what i 'm what i 'm talking about uh, so the thing about a character is uh the art the artist uh exaggerates features uh, and we we can find that funny um, but But the thing is that it might make us laugh, but a caricature gives us a distorted view uh, of what the person really looks like. And I want to ask you a question, ask ourselves a question this morning. Do we have a distorted view of who we are as Christians? And I want to suggest that sometimes we do. Sometimes we can think too much of ourselves. We can think we're maybe a little better than other people because we don't do the things they do. Uh, We don't go to places that they go to. and sometimes even uh, in regard to our salvation, when we think about how we we're saved, uh, we can sort of think, be a little bit pleased that, you know, we've had the good sense, uh, we've had the gumption, I like that word, to, to realize that uh, our sin was a problem, that we needed to ask Jesus to forgive us. And maybe other people just didn't, didn't have a, don't have as much sense as we have, or they would do the same. But maybe more often, we think too little of ourselves, that we're insignificant, that we're maybe disappointments to God or or even failures who he tolerates. We believe God loves us, that Jesus died for our sins, that we'll go to heaven. But we think our lives don't have that much importance or purpose. We just need to keep going, keep our heads down, keep out of sight. We can be discouraged, and I I can certainly feel like that at times. And so I love this passage that we're looking at this morning because it speaks to these distortions. It addresses these lies that we can believe about ourselves. And Paul gives us a true picture of who we are as Christians. And he does this by explaining how God changes us when he saves us. As we look at this, I want you to see that you're a wonderful work of art, a masterpiece of grace created by God and immensely precious to him. And my prayer is that this will cause you to rejoice. You'll want to praise him more. You'll be motivated to go out and live for Jesus and display God's amazing grace to everyone you encounter. Now, the group of christians paul was writing to were in the city of ephesus it was one of the largest cities in the roman world um the people there the people around them lived very different lives to, that that they did there was lots of sexual immorality in the city and this was all mixed up with the worship of numerous uh, greco-roman gods there was a pressure to submit to the ways of rome to worship the emperor and in this context they must have felt quite insignificant and under huge pressure to compromise and conform to what was going on around them. And is that very different to the situation that we find ourselves in today? Where what the Bible teaches about how we're to live is seen as outdated and intolerant, and where Christians seem to have less and less influence and are being marginalized? We need encouraged, and it's a great encouragement to meditate on what God did when He saved you. So, what happens to us when we're saved? Paul does a before and after here so that we can contrast and we can see just what an amazing thing has taken place. And so he starts by painting a picture of what we were before we became Christians, before God saved us. And if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, I pray that God would speak to you from these verses, because they don't describe how you used to be. They describe you right now as you sit here today. So let's turn to the passage and I'll read the first three verses. We were by nature deserving of wrath. So what does this say about the condition we were in? I want to pick out five things very quickly. We were dead in our sin, spiritually dead, completely helpless. There's nothing that a dead person can do to help themselves. Miraculous interventions need it. Sometimes we we can think that before we were Christians, uh, we were just sort of going in a wrong direction or we had messed things up a bit and we, we just needed to sort ourselves out. No, we weren't just messed up a bit. We were dead, helpless, lost, unable to do anything about it. So we were dead. We followed the ways of the world. We were totally sucked in by the secular society around us that says... You've the right to think whatever you want, do whatever you want, be whatever you want to be. That whole uh, worldview that's all around us, we were totally sucked in by it and followed the ways of the world. We also followed Satan. The third thing, we followed Satan. Uh, when the passage speaks about the, the um, ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's Satan. Uh, and whether we recognize that or not, Uh, we were following his agenda. We were under his rule. We were dead. We followed the world. We followed Satan. And we were ruled by our desires. We thought we were in control, but we were letting desires for money, for sex, for pleasure, dominate us and enslave us. We were trapped and enslaved. And the final thing, the fifth thing, we were doomed. We deserve God's wrath for the way we lived, his anger, his punishment for rebelling against him. So hopefully that gives you a, a clearer picture uh, of, of who you were before God saved you. Spiritually dead, doomed, helpless. And that's a very bleak picture. It is a bleak picture. Uh, but at the start of verse 4, then, uh, we have two wonderful words. The NIV separates them, but uh, in the original and a lot of uh, translations, they come together. And the two words at the start of verse 4 are, but God. But God. God intervened. God acted. If we just read the, the next few verses after that. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Do you see something of what an incredibly wonderful act God performed when he saved you? He took this person who was spiritually dead, unable to help yourself, and brought you to life, and wondrous, full, abundant life in Christ, a life where you sit with Christ. Picture that. You sit with Christ. You reign with him, victorious over all the evil powers and authorities who have been put under Christ's feet and so under our feet. Our salvation is all about Jesus, who he is, what he did when he died on the cross to pay for sin, and what he did when he rose from the dead to rule over all. When God saves us, he unites us with Christ. See the way even in these few verses we read with Christ, with him, in Christ, in him. And you maybe heard that phrase, that we're united to Christ. But what does that mean? Let's stop and think for a minute, what does it mean to be united with Christ? And thinking about a marriage union gives us some idea. When I was united to Angela in marriage, on that great day in 1998, yeah, uh, all that I had became Angela's and all that Angela had became mine so an even deeper level when God saves you he unites you with Christ what you have and that's not a lot it's your sin he pays the penalty for and all that he has became yours you have eternal life in relationship with God you're raised with Christ to reign with him so whether you were, you were saved as a child or later in life, whether you know the date and you've got it written in your Bible or you don't know the date, whether it was a few months ago or 50 years ago, I want you to be blown away again this morning by the enormity of the change that God worked in you when he saved you. He took someone who was dead and helpless and made you wondrously alive with Christ. Wow. So that's something of what happened when we were saved, the before and after. But how did this change happen? How are we saved? And the key truth that this passage emphasizes is that we are saved by God's grace. Saved by God's grace. And by God's grace, we mean his unmerited favor. He graciously gives us salvation as a gift something that we don't deserve and have done nothing to earn. Our salvation is a work of God from the start right to the finish. We are completely dead and helpless in our sin, and he made us alive with Christ. I want to tell you this story uh, about a baby called Jessica McClure. I don't know if anybody's heard this story, but uh, I found it really helpful. When jessica was 18 months old uh, and this was back in 1987 in texas uh, she was playing in her aunt's backyard and her mom went to take a phone call took her eyes off her and she toddled over uh, and there was this uh well uh, in the yard and she fell down the well now it was a it wasn't like a well this size it was a eight inch pipe like borehole well going down and the little baby slid down 22 feet, seven meters, until there was a, l- a little bit of a bend in the pipe, and she got stuck at the bend, 22 feet down the pipe, completely helpless. And you can just imagine the scene. You can imagine the mother's horror as she runs over, as she calls down the the well, Jessica, Jessica. Uh, and she listens, and she hears some muffled cries. Uh, sh- she knows Jessica's alive, uh, but what is she ever going to do? How are they ever going to get this baby out of there? So they get a lot of people around uh, to help, and they start trying to, to dig, to dig down beside the well to see if they can get down to where she is. But it was the you know, completely hard, solid rock. They're digging, their picks were going nowhere. Uh, So so they had to call in all these experts, get in all this specialist equipment. Uh, And all the experts got together, uh, and they made this plan to dig, yes, this other wider shaft down beside the borehole so that they could then get across uh, to where little baby Jessica was trapped. And they dug, and they dug. uh, And 58 hours later, one of the rescuers came up. He had the little baby in his arms. He handed her back uh, to her mother. Little baby Jessica was okay. They got her out. The plan succeeded. Before God saved you, the point of telling this, before God saved you, you were like baby Jessica, stuck down that well, completely helpless, no ability to save yourself. And God. Put in place the greatest rescue plan ever conceived and as part of that plan there was a time when if you like god reached in brought you back to life placed you in the arms of jesus your life is so closely interlinked with christ that when he died on the cross your old side your old self died with him and when God raised Christ to life, you were raised to life. And when God seated in heaven to rule, you were seated with him there. Remember how we talked at the start about the character picture and having a, a distorted view of ourselves, about that thinking too much of ourselves, being pleased that we had the good sense to know to turn to Jesus? Well, this passage blows that view out of the water completely we were dead doomed helpless salvation belongs to the lord it's all his work so how are we saved we're saved by god's grace by his work so we thought about what happened when we're saved how we're saved by god's grace but then why josh was looking at why god created everyone Why does God save us? Well, probably the first thing's going to spring to your mind, and we have it here, is because of his love. We read about that. We read about that in verse 4. In saving us, God acts in line with his character. He's rich in mercy. God is love, and that great love overflows to his precious creation. Even though we're marred by sin, every person's special to him as Josh said, created in his image. And this is the God we worship. He isn't some sort of strict school teacher that's uh, insisting that every rule must be kept, and we better not step out of line. He's gracious and loving and wants us to enjoy a relationship with him and him to enjoy a loving relationship with us for all eternity. God, so God saves us out of his love, but he saved us for an important purpose. And what is that purpose? If you look at verse 7, in order that, so we have it here, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We're saved by God's grace to display God's grace. We've been given a wonderful purpose. You'll find if you read it all of Ephesians, it has this cosmic theme running through it. And we get an insight into the spiritual realm. At the end of the letter in chapter six, uh, Paul tells us that we, we struggle against dark powers and authorities, against spiritual forces of evil. That's where we have the section about the spiritual armor. We need spiritual armor to stand firm. And at the start in chapter 1, Paul tells us that God's great plan is to unite all things in heaven and on earth under Christ and put all things, all these spiritual authorities under Christ's feet. So it's in that context that we're reading verse 7, displaying God's glory. grace if you were a a great artist someone might put put on an exhibition you see there's a a kind of a painting theme going through here uh, where your paintings would be displayed and people would come to look at these pictures and marvel at what a wonderful artist you are well every christian is a work of art a masterpiece of god's grace And by by making you a new creation in Christ, God shows everyone that his plan to send Jesus to die on the cross for our sin, to be raised from the dead, was a good plan, a good plan that achieved its wonderful purpose. Every single Christian here is living proof that God is kind and loving and gracious, and that his great plan in sending Jesus has succeeded. So let this correct uh, the distorted view of yourself of being unimportant and insignificant. Take a moment and let it sink in that you are a masterpiece of God's grace. And that by the very fact that God has saved you and made you alive with Christ, you have a wonderful purpose in displaying the incomparable riches god's grace to the people you meet and to the spiritual powers and authorities when satan tries to attack god's character and tries to say you're not good you're not loving god god can say look at the evidence by my grace i saved jillian i brought her from death to life with christ Look at Ronnie. By my grace, I saved Ronnie. I brought him from death to life with Christ. I am a good and gracious God. And I could go around every Christian in this room and say the same thing. It's not just mind-blowing. It's not just so encouraging. But I suppose you could say that there is a danger here. There's a danger that when we start to see ourselves as masterpieces of God's grace as wonderful new creations who display God's grace, that maybe pride could start to creep in a little bit. And so Paul takes time to emphasize that our salvation is not by works. He reminds us that it's not earned or achieved by anything we've done. So we've no reason to be prideful. If we read on just in verse verse 8 and 9, he reminds us, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Now this might be a, wee bit of a weird, uh, you have to use your imagination here, but imagine you have been in the studio with Leonardo da Vinci when he was painting the Mona Lisa. Imagine you have been there when he was painting it. Uh, and he let you help a little bit uh, and do a little bit of the painting, even if it's just a few uh, few brush strokes in the corner, a little bit in the corner of the Mona Lisa, wh- when Leonardo da Vinci was painting it. Well then you could take some pride in contributing to that great masterpiece when it's put in display, and millions of people have gone to see it. Uh, da Vinci wouldn't receive all the praise. Your name would be written there underneath his in small writing in the the corner too. So if our works played any part in our salvation, even the smallest part, our transformed lives wouldn't display the incomparable riches of God's grace. If baby Jessica had used her little nails to to crawl up the, the pipe again, or even if A rope had been put down and she had held on and held on tight while they they pulled her the whole way up. Uh, We'd be talking about what an amazing baby Jessica was. No, all the praise for her rescue goes to the team who spent the 58 hours nonstop digging down to get to her. We are saved entirely by God's grace. All the praise goes to him we are god's handiwork his workmanship masterpieces created by him in christ and so all glory all the praise goes to him but works are important works have a place and we'll just finish reading the passage by reading verse 10 and we see that here for we are god's handiwork created in christ jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now that's, this is a whole other sermon that could be preached on the place of our works. So uh, I'm not going to take time on that today. Um, but we have been saved to do good works, works that God's prepared for us and that's just amazing. Good deeds should be flow from our salvation people say they're not the root of our salvation but they are the fruit of our salvation all those small and big acts of love and kindness towards others and towards god like bringing a friend to someone who's lonely uh even bringing coats in to send to people that need them in poland uh, Uh, get involved with ministries of the church, serving other people, helping the kids, uh, teach them. uh, Lots and lots of good works you could add to lots of the examples, and that should be uh, the fruit of what God has done in us. So let's end by going back to the character painting illustration that we started with. And let me ask, are you going to continue to have a distorted view of who you are or let your view be distorted? If you weren't a Christian when you come in here this morning, has God shown you how helpless and empty you are without Jesus? Maybe this is the morning when you will believe in Jesus and receive salvation as a gift by God's grace. If God's been stirring your heart this morning, if he's been speaking to you, please don't leave uh, without speaking to me. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to talk to you more. And if you are a Christian, are you going to continue to believe that you're insignificant, that you don't have much purpose and importance? Or are you going to let this beautiful truth that your masterpiece of grace saved by god's grace to display god's grace motivate you to go out and live for jesus to do the good works god's prepared for you to live a life worthy of your calling and fulfill the great purpose god has for you maybe just a few suggestions maybe when you go home today take time alone to just go through this passage again slowly and meditate on, uh, on what it says. Or maybe even write some of the verses if they've spoken to you onto a, a little card. Put it beside your bed, put it on your desk. And when you feel discouraged, read those verses. Be reminded that God has made you alive with Christ of how incredible it is that you've been saved by God's grace to display god's grace and let's even now take take a little moment to uh, reflect on what god might have been saying to you this morning uh, let's just take a moment in the quietness uh, and i'll pray and then your musicians come will come up and we'll sing together uh, about this amazing grace